most important thing. It's central to everything we are at Village, um, and because of it, we hold it in the highest regard. Um, so let's quiet our hearts um, and our minds and listen to what God has to say to us through his word this morning. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you that we can come here this morning, that we can meet together, that we can praise you. Thank you that we can read your word. Even though the passage is challenging to us, even though it means that we have to confront things that we don't really like, I pray that you will give us um, grace when we stumble, when we feel to do what you have commanded of us. Father, I just pray for Travis as he comes to speak on this passage, that you will guide him and his words, um, and that you will give him the courage to speak on something that is often hard for us to put into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, hello again. Hi, it's still me. Um, yeah, uh, glad to be back with you five minutes later. Um, is anyone, is anyone watching Ted Lasso right now? Good. One person. Fantastic. Um, if you're not familiar with the show, Ted Lasso, I'm just jumping right into the example. Um, it's a show about an American football coach who taught, like, was a coach for American football came to the UK and is now the manager of a football club over here. Um, it's really funny, a lot of cultural stuff. As an American living over here, there's a lot of really funny bits that I really appreciate about the show. Um, it's in its third season, I think final, based on what I'm hearing, rumor-wise. Um, but part of why people love the show is almost every character is like, you just love, you're rooting for everybody, right? You love all of them. Um, and one character in particular who I, like especially this season right now, if we're just really pulling for is Jamie Tart. Good. Head nods. There's more than just one person watching the show, okay? So Jamie, if you know him from the early part of the show, um, young footballer, incredibly talented, super egotistical, like very into himself. Um, and so his character arc over the series has been him going from that person, making some mistakes, kind of like sort of falling out of popularity and success and kind of coming back into it and, and learning what it means to be part of the team and all these kind of things. And in this season, the club introduced, like, was able to sign like a really talented guy named Zava, who's meant to be Zlatan Ibrahimovic, kind of the same character if you're familiar with footballers. Like very eccentric, highly talented, um, but definitely not a team player guy, just very much like a, a solo mercenary type of person, right? And so um, while he's on the team, you can see Jamie's character start to get really jealous and uncomfortable. He's like, he's like, that guy's good, but he doesn't understand 
what we're trying to do here in terms of being a team player kind of thing, right? And so there's this scene where Jamie and Roy Kent, who's another great character, um, uh, are having a conversation over dinner. Roy's his coach. Roy's older. He uh, is like a hard worker, never smiles, tough guy kind of like, you know, personality. And he and Jamie are talking back and forth, and Roy knows, can kind of sense that Jamie's not doing great. He's like, hey, what's going on? And Jamie's just like, kind of verbalizes that he's not about Zava being part of the team. He's like, I want to I be better than him. I want to be great. I want to be better than Zava. And so, and Roy kind of looks at him, and they have this conversation. Roy basically asks him, he's like, do you really want that? Like, are you just saying that, or are you serious about it? And Jamie's like, I'm serious about it. And Roy's like, okay, then I'll see you tomorrow at 4 a.m. And so, kind of from that moment on, the rest of the series, like, Roy's kind of been Jamie's personal mentor like showing him just what it will take to become that kind of great. Um, and it's really kind of, I mean, their relationship has got, their friendship gets really good. Um, yeah, it's been fantastic just kind of watching the whole thing happen. But that moment, that conversation, is kind of what Jesus is doing here with the disciples. If you remember last week, um, Andrew kind of went through uh, Peter confessing that Jesus is the Christ, right? Jesus is praying. He, he asked the whole group, like, who do people say that I am? And they're like, oh, you're like, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elisha. And some people say you're another prophet. And then Jesus asked them what we talked about being possibly the most important question. Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, as far as we know, becomes the first person in recorded history to say that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. And then Jesus goes on in response to that to say, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and then on the third day be raised. Which is kind of like a real sharp turn from what he was just talking about. He's like, I'm glad you recognize that. This is going to look really ugly really soon. Um, and kind of talks about what, it, what it's going to look like for him who has now just been declared to be the Christ. He's like, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die and then I'm going to rise again. And then we get to today's passage, which is, this, it's still the same conversation. Jesus then says to all of them, if anyone would come after me, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And like Hannah said in our prayer, this is one of those passages that like, we read, and we're like, ooh, that one's pretty uncomfortable, right? It's, it's very black and white. Jesus is, sometimes Jesus speaks in parables, and it's like, poetic or narrative or whatever, and sometimes Jesus just says it how it is, um, and those are the ones that are uncomfortable for us. I prefer, personally, to read the part where Jesus is like, if any of you are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest, right? And I'm like, I'm about that invitation. I love rest. Like, I, w- I want to say yes to Jesus on that one. But in this one where Jesus is like, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And he says that on the heels of just saying how he himself is going to suffer and die. Like, it's like not as good, right? It's like a bit more challenging. And so as we look at this this morning, um, and as Hannah prayed, um, and I'm going to pray here now again just because it won't hurt. Um, I really, my hope is that we have hearts and ears that are open enough and soft enough to be able to hear what the Holy Spirit is telling us this morning. But I also think that there's a lot of encouragement here, um, more, than, more than maybe what it looks like on the surface. At least it was for me when I was kind of going through this passage. 
Let me pray for us real quick, and then we'll dive in. Uh, Father God, thank you so much um, for your word. Um, God, your word is truth. Um, it's life. Um, it divides. It exposes. This is one of those passages, at least when I was going through it this week, that was very divisive and exposing um, in terms of where my own heart's at in a lot of ways. Um, and it's good. God, we need that. Um, it's how we grow. It's how we heal. It's how we become more like you. So God, this morning, I pray that we would have hearts that, could, that, could, that can receive this, um, that we wouldn't be dismissive, that we wouldn't hear your word today and find excuses or loopholes, and we just like listen to it, understand it, and really let it sink in. And by your grace and through your Holy Spirit, God, I pray that it would change us to make us more like Jesus this morning. God, for those of us in here who follow Jesus, as we look at what it looks like to follow you, I pray that we would understand that more and be able to do that better. God, I recognize that people in this room might not know who you are. Um, and obviously, a passage about what it looks like to follow Jesus might be helpful, could be challenging. But God, I pray that it would be a call to them to follow Jesus too. God, you desire that all men would know you and would follow you and would love you. And so, God, as we look at this passage this morning, God, and come under it, help me to preach it and teach it well and truthfully. Um, help us to come under it, to be submissive to it, to see ourselves in it, to confess and repent where we need to, to be encouraged where we need that as well. I pray, amen. So how do we do this? Okay, um, the way this whole thing is set up in terms of like the structure of the passage is Jesus kind of says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, he must take up his cross and follow me. And then he kind of goes on, the rest of what he says is sort of an explanation or a, you know, an illumination of what that kind of looks like. But what does it mean to deny yourself? Well, I think, I mean, if you're like me, my, my brain first went to, like, it means just saying no, right? When we hear the word deny, we think of it like a request. Someone says, I, can I have this thing, or I want to do this thing, or I, I need this, and the request is denied, right? Um, but that's not the kind of denial, and so we, we translate that to this by saying, it's just saying no to me. It's telling my sin nature, or my humanity, or my whatever, like, hey, no. I'm, I know you want to do this thing, but you're not allowed, right? Um, it is, it is, oh, maybe on the most extreme end, like a masochistic understanding, like this, like, sort of, I don't call it self-torture, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I need to kind of almost be mean or cruel or disregard my own self because that's what self-denial looks like. But that's not actually the word that, the word Jesus uses is actually got a different kind of connotation and context. It's the word that is translated from, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. I've practiced this all week, and I already know I'm going to fail but you don't know how to say it either, so who cares? Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a Greek word called arneomai. But what it means is, instead of a denial of a request, it means sort of a dissociation. It's, it's relational in context. And so um, it's kind of like to disown, right? Or um, to break a relationship with. And so the only other time that this specific word is used in Scripture is famously when Peter denies Jesus. Right? So to help you kind of understand what Jesus is getting at, it's, it's I don't know that person. Right? We, we don't know the story, right? Three times Peter 
is asked, like, hey, you were with him. Like, you know him. You're a Galilean. Like, you know Jesus. And he's like, never met him. Don't know him. Not at all. I don't know what you're talking about. You are crazy. Right? It's, it's a dissociation and a denial. So when Jesus tells us that we need to do this to ourselves, what is he saying? Well, what Jesus is saying is that we have, naturally, a tendency, like a, a natural tendency and a natural allegiance to our own selves. We naturally love ourselves. We naturally are controlled by our own desires. And instead, we need to switch that allegiance to him. In verses 23, or 24 and 25, sorry, I'm skipping the Philippians passage there, obviously, because you're looking at the slides. Um, Jesus says this, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What Jesus is saying is like, we have, an, we have a natural tendency to want to save ourselves, to care about ourselves, to, 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 to be in control of our lives and take care of it and manage it, and however you want to kind of understand that. And what Jesus is saying instead is, He's using this kind of play on words where the life he's talking about is like this earthly temporal life that we try to save and make the most of. And what Jesus is saying is you need to forsake that and be about your eternal life. And so you forsake it for my sake, you'll find eternal life. If you don't, you will lose it. And he asked this question at the end, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I was reading a commentary, and someone kind of reworded it, and I loved the way they reworded it. They said, what good is everything to a dead man? Right? That's what Jesus is getting at. And so the question that Jesus is really asking here is a question of the heart. We can understand self-denial to be actions, to say no to sin, but really what Jesus is saying is, no, it's, this is a question to expose where your heart's allegiance lies. Are you allegiant to yourself, or are you, is your allegiance mine? Basically, Jesus is saying is, if you want to follow me, I need to be the boss. I need to be the Lord, right? Now, this idea, I think, for us is especially hard because we're encouraged so much in our lives to be self-focused. I think in the West, um, I think with social media and some of those narratives, like it's, it's about, it's, it's meant to be about us. I, uh, I, had a, I was just scrolling through my Instagram feed and someone had reposted this thing. It was like, reminders of yourself for today. And it was all like, you determine your own reality. Um, you can take care of, uh, you can take care of yourself. Like, uh, it, was, it, it was a whole bunch of things. Not all of them were really necessarily bad, but I noticed as I was reading, it was like, everything is about you. Like, you do this. Do this for you. Um, don't listen to this because of how it can affect you, right? And this idea that, like, every, and, and they're, again, like, they're not inherently bad, but the focus of it is here. We're often encouraged to look at ourselves first, to find our own truth. I don't know if you're familiar with the idea of self-care. It's a good thing, take care of yourself. But I hear it so often that I'm like, I feel like we, you can kind of move from like 
taking care of yourself in terms of like stewarding what God's given you to a place of like indulgence and priority of yourself above all things and all these other things. There's the idea of, my wife and I are talking a lot about this, of like cutting toxic people out of your life, right? I don't know if you've heard people say that, but like, I mean, sure, there's a reality of like, if you're in an abusive relationship, you got to move on, right? Like, or something needs to change or something like that. But like, but like, you've got a coworker that's hard to get along with, like, cut them out too. Do you only surround yourself with people who make you feel good, who are about you, right? You can see how the movement happens there. We're encouraged um, to go on journeys of self-discovery, um, to, to, to think about our future, to follow our own hearts. Thank you, Disney. Um, even advertising is about buying products because you deserve it. Like, I, I mean, I literally, like, I was watching TV today, not today, but this week, and the advert literally says, you deserve blank. Like, it wasn't suggested, it was, that was, that was the script of the commercial was that, right? And so none of these things are necessarily inherently bad. The problem is the focus. It's on us. It's not on Christ. It is not bad for us to know ourselves, um, to take care of ourselves, to build and manage our relationships, try to meet our own needs and provide for ourselves. None of those things are inherently bad. But the problem is if we do all those things unsubmitted to Christ, we end up losing our lives in an attempt to save them. Let me try to give you an example of uh, what I'm talking about. My, Lauren and I, Lauren's my wife, by the way, if you don't know, I've referenced her a couple times now. Um, we're talking about this idea, and we were talking about the idea of a, kind of going on a personal journey of self-discovery, right? And we work with university students, and that's just kind of like, in the conversations we have with students, they're all like, finding themselves and sorting themselves out and all these kind of things. And it's, again, again, not bad. It's not inherently bad, right? But we were talking about kind of why does everyone do that and what's the sort of cultural narrative? What we kind of determined is, like, there's like, a, there's like a narrative that encourages us to do the work to know ourselves and that if we can know ourselves, then we can better ourselves is the idea behind it. And so kind of what the work looks like, what, what the personal journey of self-discovery or whatever you want to call it looks like is it looks like Self-help books and Atomic Habits is a book. You know, all these kind of things of like, how do I, what kind of things can I put in my life to make it better? What kind of things can I take out of my life to make it better? We, there's a lot, of, a lot of books that we can read to do that. We can take personality tests. I don't know, Enneagram, you know, if you're familiar with that, right? But there's like all these different things that help us kind of categorize and understand ourselves and like, oh, this is, my personality is this. That's why I do things this way. That's why I relate to people this way, right? It's part of that journey of self-discovery. Um, potentially it's like time spent in counseling to work on understanding past traumas and hurts and all these other things or to kind of work through present situations. Um, again, all good things, right? And a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of energy. It's a lot of effort. But here's the thing about all of that. All of it's completely neutral, not inherently bad. But unsubmitted to Christ, can I tell you where you're going to find yourself at the end of that journey? You're going to climb this mountain of self-discovery. You're going to get to the top. And what you're going to realize is all that's changed is you have a better understanding of your own brokenness, which you probably knew at the beginning, and you're still going to find yourself pretty powerless to change anything. And, what it, and, and so what the world does with that narrative is it says one of two things. Number one, the temptation at that point is to despair, be like, 
whoops, I put all this time and effort in, nothing can change, what do I do? Or the other temptation is to take what's broken and call it good. This, this is broken in me, I can't fix it, so I'm just going to go ahead and say that it's not actually a bad thing. It's a good thing. We can see this culturally, for sure, in the conversations of like gender and sexuality and these kind of understandings of ourselves, right? Like, the Bible says this, this is what gender is, this is what sexuality is and should look like, but I feel this way. And unsubmitted to God, we can just be like, well, it's not bad. It's a good thing. Not a bad thing. But submitted to God, this journey looks a whole lot different, right? If we go on this journey of self-discovery with Christ, submitted to Christ, what we'll find is we are understanding ourselves with the person and the power to change. Right? The Bible talks about how we're made new creations when we, when we follow Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. Right? And so you think, okay, I have this personality, and I have a tendency, because of my personality, to treat people a certain way. Right? I'm really harsh with my children because of how my dad raised me. And I know I should be better at it, but I can't help it. That's how I was brought up. It's my, it's my personality, my tendency. And so I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. Right? Right? I, I don't know how many people have friends that take personality tests who use their personality as an excuse to treat people poorly. Right? I've got lots of those friends. I'm sorry, I can't do that. It's just like I'm, I'm an eight or I'm a whatever or I'm a, you know, whatever letters or the, per, I don't know. You know, they're all different. But they're all like, it's an excuse to sin is what it is. It's like, I'm this way. I have a tendency to sin, but it's not really a tendency to sin. It's just, it's an excuse to do it. It's not actually a problem. Okay? But with Christ, we have the ability to change. We have the Holy Spirit. We talked about this morning where we can change. We've been empowered to be like Christ. That's what Jesus is getting at here. If I'm the, I need to be the Lord of your life. If you want to follow after me, I need to be in charge. And here's the funny thing about all this. When we give up our life to Jesus, we're actually giving it back, even in the moment. We're giving it back, but we're giving it back sanctified, ennobled, and like him. We don't actually lose our life but we're giving back a life that's like Jesus. What about taking up your cross? What does Jesus mean by taking up your cross? Well, if denying ourselves means Jesus is going after our hearts and our souls, taking up our cross is Jesus going after our mind and our strength. You see, if we deny ourselves, uh, denying ourselves means pledging allegiance to him instead of ourselves, Taking up our cross means submitting in obedience to him. Now, obviously, on this side of the cross, when we read the words, take up your cross and follow me, what we read is this picture of Jesus doing that, and he did. But the disciples at the moment hadn't seen Jesus do that. He hadn't been crucified yet. He hadn't, been put on the, you know, he hadn't walked through the streets of Jerusalem out to Golgotha carrying the cross on his back. But they would have been familiar with Crucifixion. Um, crucifixion was intentionally a very public execution of criminals, and they would have, if not seen it, at least known about it. 
Crucifixion was reserved for offenders who had rebelled against authority. And the experience was meant to be brutal and painful, but also humiliating. The idea was to heap shame on the individual in the moment of their death for their transgressions. Part of that shaming was making that criminal walk through the streets and carry their own instrument of death to the place of their death publicly in front of other people, where then they'd be hung on that instrument of death publicly, naked, in front of people. Like the punishment, obviously being death, was almost equally, and maybe even worse, the shame involved with it. And what the Romans tried to do with all this was they were trying to tell these rebels, you belong to us. Like you thought you didn't, but you do. And so Jesus is referencing this brutal image to show the disciples that following him means the same thing. It means admitting and saying, like, Jesus is in charge. And it feels weird to talk about it that way because we, like, why would Jesus kind of take this shaming position over you? And that's not what Jesus is getting at here. But rather he's saying the level of submission that those people had towards Rome is the level of obedience and submission you need to have to me. Paul talks about, um, in one of his letters, the idea of us being led in triumphal procession. Um, and that triumphal procession was what Rome would do with people who they had conquered, and they'd bring these people back. It's like, these are the people we, we, we defeated. We own them now. They're now ours. Paul talks about it, uses that same language, joyously saying, like, yeah, I was part of something else, and Christ won, and now I'm part of this kingdom. And so he talks about that triumphal procession, that being conquered by Christ with joy to now be part of his kingdom. So what is, what is, how do we do this? How do we daily take up our cross? If taking up our cross is daily, is like submission and obedience, then how we do it is do what Jesus says. It's really not that complicated. I don't really need to expound on it anymore. Like that is what it is. Um, earlier in Luke chapter 6, Jesus tells the uh I think he's talking to the disciples at this point. Maybe he's just talking to the people. But he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? Like that, essentially, that's what Jesus is getting at here. You can, you can call me, calling Jesus Lord is one thing. Doing it's another one. And I know this in my own heart because like, this is what I've been reflecting on all week. I am very quick to say Jesus is Lord. But if I look at my daily life, is he really in the conversations I have with people and the ways I spend my time and where my money goes and the stuff I watch on television, is Jesus really the Lord in my own life? And that's the question for all of us today. Now, I talked about this being challenging. I also dropped the word encouraging. Um, it is encouraging. I want to put one caveat in here and then we'll move to the encouraging bit. This can sound a whole lot like a works-based theology. Okay? I recognize that. I recognize that me saying that Jesus says he needs to be in charge and you got to do what he says sounds a whole lot like to be a Christian means not sinning. It doesn't mean not sinning. I'll get into that in a little bit. 
But what it does mean is it means taking our hearts off ourselves and setting them on Christ to the point where we will follow him wherever and do whatever and give whatever he asks us to do. Now, the beauty of all of this is Jesus actually lived like this and fulfilled all of this. If you look at Jesus' relationship with the Father, he took his Philippians, in Philippians 2 it says that um, Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Like Jesus' time on earth was in submission to the Father. In the same way that Jesus asks us to deny ourselves, he's not asking us to do something he didn't do. Jesus himself denied himself and submitted to the Father during his time on earth. He says in his ministry, he says this multiple times, I think, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me. Like, that's his level of submission. And we actually see the most poignant picture, the most poignant picture of Jesus' submission in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night Jesus was betrayed. In Luke 22, it says, He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus' self-denial wasn't recognizing this desire to not do what he was about to do and just dealing with it. That's the way we think about self-denial. Rather, his self-denial was taking that, bringing it to the Father, pleading with the Father that anything if there's literally another way, please make it happen. But not my will, yours be done. Do you see the difference? Right? And Jesus did. He was obedient to the point of death, to the point of very literally taking up his cross, dying, and on the other side of it, resurrecting and being resurrected and being glorified. This is the joy and promise for us too that the gospel glory on the other side of our discipleship or our following Jesus is sharing in Christ's glory. I said it before, I'll say it again. When we give up our lives to Jesus, we're giving it back, sanctified, ennobled, and like Christ. In Romans 8, Paul says, if we share in his sufferings, we will also share in his glory. The idea being that becoming like Christ means everything. It means the hard parts and it means the good parts. The good parts are very good. I want to close with a question. What if we fail? Right? Like, this all is very challenging. What if I screw this up? What does it look like? If I have times, days, seasons where I'm not denying myself and taking up my cross every day, do I lose my salvation? What does that mean? This is the question I was asking myself as I was working through this. And actually, we kind of get the answer to this question by looking at the character of Peter. Peter, who just before had confessed that Christ is the Messiah, who now hears Jesus say that this is what following Jesus is meant to look like. Next week, spoiler alert, he's actually at the moment where Jesus is transfigured, like fully glorified on a mountain. Like of any person in, at this time, Peter probably more than most, maybe more than any, understands that Jesus is God. 
And then you skip ahead to Luke 22, in the Last Supper, Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, which is super cool, by the way, that Jesus would pray for him, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Listen to what Peter says. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Right? I don't know, I don't know if Peter was being flippant with his words or if he meant every word of it. But at this moment in time, this is Peter's commitment to following Jesus. Jesus replies to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Fast forward six hours later, verse 54, then they seized him, Jesus, and led him away bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Verse 56, Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it. Denied. He denied it. Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After an interval of an hour, still another insisted, certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. I get, I get goosebumps every time I read this part. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter failed maybe more spectacularly than any of us at following Jesus in this way. And it broke him. He wept bitterly. But here's the good news. John 21 Peter gets to see Jesus again. Peter's out fishing on the lake with some of the other disciples. They're not catching anything. Some guy on the shore tells them to throw their net to the other side of the boat, which had happened once before. They do. They catch all these fish. Immediately, Peter's like, that's Jesus. He just jumps out of the boat and swims. He doesn't even, like, help anymore. He's just gone. They get there. They spend time with Jesus. They have breakfast together, and it says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You see that Jesus' question here has to do with the heart again. Do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. And I think what Peter's saying there, by the way, is he's confessing that he recognizes Jesus knows that he denied him three times. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. And when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Jesus said to Peter, 
follow me. The beauty of the gospel, this is the encouragement I take from all of this. It is, it is a big call, a huge ask to follow Jesus, to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus in this way. Tremendous. And I hate to break it to you, but you're going to fail, and you're probably going to fail every single day. But the person that we are asked to make Lord of our, of our life restores us every time in the same way that he restored Peter. Kindly, graciously, with forgiveness, do you love me? Yes, follow me. And what happens in Peter's life is Peter actually, ultimately, wasn't ashamed of Jesus to the point that he too was crucified, right? The call to discipleship to follow Jesus is hard. To follow Jesus means walking how and where Jesus walked. It means we must be allegiant to him, submit to him, and in the same, uh, in the same way that he denied himself and submitted to the Father. But if we share in that with him, we will also share in his glory. Not because that we've been perfect, but because he was perfect. Why? He can restore us and forgive us every single time. And in his grace, he is making us like him. It's through the process of denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Jesus that Christ sanctifies us and makes us more like God, or more like him, himself. So my prayer for us this morning is that as hard as that might be to hear, I don't, I don't know, I know I've got a lot of conviction in my own heart all week long with all this stuff. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's telling you about what you need to do or to change in your own heart or in your own life. Maybe your heart isn't set on Jesus and is set on yourself. And you've got to start at the heart level and take your allegiance and your affections off of yourself and put them on Christ. Or maybe you've done that and you say that, but you recognize, well, I say that, but I'm still pretty selective about doing choosing what, I, what things Jesus has asked me to do. My prayer is that all of us who know Christ would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus like he has asked. And my prayer for you, if you don't know Jesus this morning, is that you would choose to follow him. Because the glory we share with Christ on the other side is so worth it. Even when we fail, 